Hey, it's Jay, and it's time for another One Shot, which is the short-form monologue series that we run as a complement to our longer-form narratives. I just got back from my first in-person speaking event, my first plane, my first flight since February 2020. I flew to Cleveland, sunny, tropical Cleveland, <laughs> to give a brand-new keynote about storytelling to the wonderful crowd at Content Marketing World. It was something like my sixth or seventh time speaking at that event. Just love that community. And my premise for the talk was that there's a difference between good storytellers and effective storytellers. And for us to resonate with others, for us to communicate in ways that inspires action in anyone else. Oh, by the way, action is where results come from. For us to do that, we have to make that shift between being good and effective storytellers. But it's really easy, and I did hear this a few times, to write off the idea of storytelling as somehow big or like we don't have anything inspiring in our worlds as we go through our seemingly mundane lives. And so today I wanted to read you a story that I wrote uh, earlier this year and turn it into a one shot because it addresses that very obstacle, that very issue that we have that, well, things are, are just too boring in my world to tell gripping stories. And I just so fundamentally disagree. So this one shot is called How to Tell Gripping Stories About the Seemingly Mundane. The Quaker Diner in West Hartford, Connecticut serves the same food as every other diner. It serves the same coffee too, endless amounts of mediocre light brew generously poured into thick white mugs. Coffee like that tricks my mind into thinking it's delicious simply because I'm sitting in a diner. The moment contains a little sadness, a little nostalgia, and of course, a lot of coffee. The last time I sat in this particular diner, the Quaker Diner, and drank that particular coffee, I realized that despite the same old, same old menu, that place exists as something entirely unique to every individual who passes through it. Everyone who knows it knows a different version of the Quaker Diner. This average diner with the same old, same old menu was the setting of a writing project of mine for one of my favorite classes in college, creative nonfiction. Every morning, for what felt like a cruel number of mornings to a 21-year-old, I would trudge down the street from my off-campus house, past broken beer bottles and thrown away slices of pizza congealing in the morning sun. I'd swing open the door to the trolley car, turn diner, grab myself a booth, and slump down with my notebook for some of that grade D coffee. Oh, the romantic life of a writer. To me, the Quaker Diner was nondescript, but that semester, my job was to describe it, to bring it to life, to sit with it and poke and prod and think and feel long enough to find something, anything, to write about. In short, I had to find a story somewhere in the seemingly mundane details of life. In our line of work, I can think of no greater skill to master. Whether you write or speak or podcast or shoot video, design apps or org charts or company cultures, you are in the business of finding something meaningful to say to others to resonate with them and spark action, all while probably feeling surrounded by a whole lot of nothing, mundane details of your everyday life. Unfortunately, we lose our abilities to tell stories the more years we spend away from schooling, or really, the more years we spend feeling like adults instead of children. My ability to tell legitimate stories started to erode the moment I entered the world of tech, startups, and content marketing. 
In my early jobs for companies like Google and HubSpot, I picked up some very important business knowledge, maybe. But I was a far better writer at 21 than, say, 25, definitely. I don't know if there's a single thing to blame for all that, but the obsessing over SEO and headlines to drive clicks and the short-termism of the business world and all the overemphasis placed on efficiencies and optimization, none of that could have really helped my cause as a writer. Summed up another way, because the act of merely telling stories for their own sake wasn't important sounding enough, everyone began to focus on the very important business reason why you would do such a thing, why you would tell stories at all. The process stopped being the point. Like the sad-looking chef at the Quaker diner slinging scrambled eggs every day, for years I just kept shipping sloppy articles, three for a dollar, the breakfast special, served with a side of pop-ups on the website. Could I interest you in a chocolate-covered ebook after your meal? I only stopped that downward spiral towards mediocrity when a friend of mine named Nico, and perfect for this story, he's a friend from college, when Nico asked me what happened to my creative nonfiction writing. He used to enjoy reading it, he said. He thought I should have become an investigative journalist, uh, uh, an essayist, something like that. And I appreciated the sentiment. But it also hurt to hear, at least at the time a few years ago, when he said that to me. See, I like the business world for all my complaints. I like content marketing. And I love this exploratory style of work that I do through my newsletter, through this show, through any project, all to serve you. But inspired by Nico and also nursing a sore ego, I asked my dad, hey, do you still have the backup files of my college writing? Thankfully, he said yes. And suddenly, I was back in that mundane diner with the same old, same old menu. I could practically smell their weak, yet wonderful coffee, as I read the words written by a different person named Jay, who wrote things like this. The Quaker Diner is the smallest building on its block along Park Street in West Hartford. The ceiling of the long, narrow restaurant resembles that of the Park Road trolley, whose final stop was just outside the restaurant when it opened in 1931. Along the curved ceiling spin two fans, one slower than the other, which barely cool the customers occupying the row of green, rubber-topped stools running down the bar to the right. The menu is a single-fold inventory of breakfast items, sandwiches, and quote-unquote odds and ends listed above the diner's mantra, where you don't bring your friends, you go to see your friends. Customers nicknamed Hungry Al and Home Fry enter on cue as one of the eight workers on staff leans over the counter to ask, what's your pleasure today? Long, drawn-out notes of a trombone playing through the diner's speakers clash terribly with the regular beats of R&B music pouring from the kitchen in the back, where another grill sits, hardly touched. Chefs Jose and Aurelio move to the beats of Beyonce and work the main grill below the restaurant's specials, written in colorful marker on the backs of placemats and taped to the silver metallic wall for all to see. The placemats have been the same for as long as most of the staff can remember. The only sheet which is consistently rewritten is a list of several past events reading This Day in History. Is that overwritten? Yeah, you bet. Tough to follow? Mm, Sure, a little bit. Void of my current tone of voice in all its, let's say, colloquial and vibrant glory? Absolutely. But it was striving towards something. I didn't want to desperately hold on to your attention lest you go visit a competitor's website. 
I wasn't focused on not getting fired, and I sure as hell had no concerns for stuffing the paragraphs full of redundant gift wrap key takeaways from the story. No, I was just telling a story. That's all. I was merely telling a story. Since around 2016, I've tried to keep the same fire lit and growing in my creative world, the desire to tell stories just for their own sake. It all began with identifying the missing piece to so much of my previous writing done for marketing teams. To tell better stories, we don't need more vivid details, which College J desperately needed to hear. We don't need more production polish, which a lot of marketers need to hear too. I mean, come on, even though it looks glossy, those two talking heads on YouTube said nothing of value at all. Anyways, we don't need more vivid details or production polish. We don't even need protagonists or guests a profile that seem epic or famous or Hollywood-esque. No, the missing piece to tell better stories is far simpler. We need more tension. Sometimes the tension can feel grand. Who's the killer? Who will sit on the Iron Throne? Will this new wave of tech innovation save the internet? But most times, in the seemingly mundane day-to-day -day world, the tension is small, yet still somehow profound. The subtle sadness of a place, the yearning for something more, the appreciation of a loving moment met with a concern for what the future holds for that relationship. A person just trying to do a good job despite the daily demands that push against that. Stories are about meaning and emotions, and at the core of anything meaningful is tension. Any story can be distilled into three basic parts, status quo, tension, and resolution. I call that the one simple story. Whether it's a nursery rhyme or an epic novel, the first fundamental piece of a story is the status quo, something that's unfolding that others recognize and perhaps even don't find particularly gripping. It's unfolding as you'd expect. And then suddenly thrown into that status quo is the big question, the moment of conflict, the desire that seems out of reach, or even the tiniest shred of doubt. Something interrupts, threatens, or redirects the flow of the status quo. And now in the minds of the audience, they have questions that deserve an answer. And as a result, they want you, the storyteller, to continue. And so we march them towards the resolution. We open the loop, then close it. Status quo, tension, resolution. We've been learning this since we were children, but the working world tends to squeeze these kinds of lessons out of our minds as somehow not important enough to try and replace it with, well stuff that other people have deemed very important business knowledge. But just think about how simple the storytelling structure really is. The itsy bitsy spider went up the water spout. Status quo, statement of fact, not a story, not yet. Then down came the rain and washed the spider out. There's some tension, that poor bugger. I wonder what will happen to him. And finally, out came the sun and dried up all the rain. And the itsy bitsy spider went up the spout again. Again? I guess you're supposed to say again, right? And it's like, yes, my man, you did it. I'm proud of you. Tension resolved. Way to be. Story over. As I sat in the Quaker diner all those years ago, I realized something that, especially in today's world, we need to remember more often. Everybody is going through something. I looked around, took it all in, and I discovered all kinds of tiny moments of tension around me. From my booth, I noticed one such moment over by the bar. Suddenly, a story from the seemingly mundane details around me took shape. I never got a slip, the man says. 
He has been nervously poking at his eggs, cramming a forkful into his mouth every so often in between glances at the New York Times. With his brown bomber jacket, stained blue cap, and sporadic mutterings under his breath, he seems to live in a world slightly different than our own. He flips rapidly through the paper, too quickly to read anything more than a headline or photo caption, but his eyes have remained on the pages until now. Excuse me, miss. I never got a slip, he says. Kathy walks over and humors him. But you never do, do you? The man smiles sheepishly. Six ninety-five, he asks. He fumbles around his jacket pocket and hands Kathy a crumpled $10 bill. Kathy scribbles on her green pad and drops the check in front of him. Six seventy-five. He's 20 cents off the mark. He takes a few sips of his coffee, runs a hand over the few strands of white hair he has left under his cap, and curses audibly before limping out the door. As I witness what some might call nothing unfolding in front of me, the waitress Kathy evolved into one of three different protagonists of my eventual six-page story, together with the diner's owner, Harry, and another waitress, Marilyn. Kathy had been working at the Quaker Diner for just under a year when I met her. She claimed to be, quote-unquote, between jobs, but after eight months at the diner, along with 30 minutes talking to me, I just assumed she'd stay put a while. Kathy supports two children, but she can't bear the thought of returning to her old job in the state tax department, where she spent 23 years. She likes the diner, likes meeting the people, likes serving school principals, Trinity students, and the conductor of the Hartford Symphony Orchestra. Most of all, she likes calling the older customers honey and sweetie, and seeing their day brighten ever so slightly. They're not much older than Kathy, but she sells a younger attitude well, a product of her years spent bartending. See, all it takes to tell a meaningful story from the mundane details around us is some tension, however fleeting, however subtle. These tiny differences make all the difference in the world. Kathy becomes a character when we learn about the tension between supporting her kids and working this job, or the even more subtle tension between the way she flirts with older customers and her actual not-so-much-younger age. Likewise, the man reading The Times stands out just a bit more when he never gets his slip or mutters to himself. We wonder, why? And there's some tension right there. Or maybe he becomes a bigger character when he guesses the wrong price or audibly curses before leaving the diner. Tiny pockets of tension, packaged and delivered. Meaningful moments, hidden in the mundane. Stories are everywhere, if we're willing to look. I'm guessing you and I share something in our efforts to tell more gripping stories that maybe you and I have never talked about before, mostly because I'm sort of just kind of talking at you. Thank you for listening. Anyways, we work in industries or serve customers who are experiencing far more than just a little tension. In fact, those we serve likely feel enormous amounts of tension due to equally enormous amounts of change, confusion, stress, disruption, and personal conflict, which, let's face it, are far more pressing and therefore gripping than anything listed in a P&L. Whether we choose to find those details and use them in our communication is up to us, but it's all there. And it's all a lot more obvious than the quirks at the Quaker Diner. We need only take a little bit of that tension, let it brew a while, and pour it generously into a thick white mug. We only need to use a bit more emotion and grill up a few more piping hot questions for a dish worth serving. The man never got his bill. The woman grappled with reconciling her job and her duty as a parent. The customers needed a smile as they shuffled slowly through life. To this day, the Quaker diner sits there, frozen in time. 
It seems the menu is far from the only thing that's same old, same old. Every day seems mundane. Unless you're a storyteller. A young boy approached an old horoscope machine sitting in the back. He twisted a few knobs and tapped on the glass. That thing hasn't worked in years, says Marilyn from behind the counter, just a drop of southern molasses to her voice. Reluctantly, the boy saunters over to his grandfather, where he receives a tiny kiss on the head and a command. Stop growing. Back at the front, Marilyn wipes down the counter and prepares to close the diner at 2.30 sharp. She says that in 17 years of waitressing here, she's rarely seen people attempting to use the fortune teller. Despite the claims emblazoned on the machine, Lady D won't be giving anyone any forecasts today. Marilyn tugs down a paper placemat that had been taped to the wall, grabs a new sheet, and begins to write tomorrow's This Day in History. Inside the Quaker Diner, there's no need to predict the future. Thank you so much for listening. I am really, really focused on this idea of becoming effective storytellers, where every business communicator, no matter your role, can have greater impact with the words that you speak or write and share with the world. You can resonate deeper. You can spark greater action, which again is where our results come from, whether you're speaking to internal stakeholders or teams or externally into the world. And part of this effort to help you evolve from a good storyteller into an effective storyteller is to think about what I could be providing you around the show. Because a lot of people ask me not just for the episodes, but for how I made the episodes or my ideas about certain moments within the episodes. So if you have any questions for me about how I craft any of my work, not just the show, please email me or tweet me. I'm Jay at unthinkablemedia.com and at Jay Akunzo on Twitter. I really want to know how can I help you do work similar to the people you admire? Because I don't think it's that far out of reach. It is a practice and I'd love to help you practice. So email me or tweet me with your ideas, questions, problems, concerns, and requests of me and my platform. What are you curious to learn? That is it for this episode. I'm back really soon with a brand new narrative style episode. It's all about somebody who's been creating thousands and thousands of incredible marketing videos, looking back at that work and seeing the good, the bad, the ugly, and the future. That's the next episode of the show. Until then, as always, keep making what matters. See ya. Thank you.